This episode of Standard Orbit is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter. Visit enterpriseinspace.org. Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry, and you're listening to Trek FM. Risk is our business. It's like nothing we've dealt with before. Golly, Jim, I'm beginning to think I can cure a rainy day. I can't change the laws of physics. Welcome, everyone, to Standard Orbit, Trek FM's dedicated podcast that covers the original and new cast of Captain Kirk and the Enterprise. I am Ken Tripp. And I am Zach Moore, and it is Christmas time, and it is at this time of year that Star Trek fans think about the Star Trek Christmas movie, Generations. This TOS movie... Brought in the cast of a TNG team. Wait, wait, wait. We're getting an alert. An intruder alert, Ken. I read three transporter transmissions right here in the Standard Orbit Studios. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. It's like this technology that's almost 80 years more advanced than what we have is imposing itself on our podcast. Would you identify yourselves, please? Well, Zach and Ken, I don't want to be a Scrooge, but you're encroaching on Earl Grey territory, and you can't talk about a Star Trek Next Generation movie without the Earl Grey team here. You're damn right. This is a TNG movie with only a sprinkling of the original cast. Resistance is futile. And one of my favorite Star Trek movies. You two are not going to be able to be too critical without the correct point of view. Oh, okay. So I see how it works here. Well, in the immortal words of Jean-Luc Picard, transmitted in all known languages and frequencies, we surrender. <laughs> Burn. Uh, so, well, now that we had the three of you aboard, we're glad you're here. We are dropping our shields and looking forward to engaging. See what we did there in a robust conversation about Star Trek Generations. Let's start with a synopsis of the movie, if you please, Ken. Oh, sure, I, I'd be happy to. So, a great um, TNG beginning. We know from Star Trek VI that the uh, the cast was going off; it was retiring and turning the. Um, the ship over to another crew, right? And we pick up with the launching of the Enterprise B with um, Kirk and Chekhov and Scotty and taking out the B for a ride, a little promotional tour. It gets diverted to rescue a bunch of Elorians that are stuck in a red energy ribbon known as not hair product, but the Nexus. And they rescue um, the Elorians or some of them. But during the rescue, Kirk, being a hero, goes down and is able to um, do some very technical things we've never seen him be able to do before. It's really cool. And he gets he gets blasted away, and everyone feels that he's dead. And then we cut forward 80 years, and the TNG team is now aboard doing what they do probably best. That's going to the holodeck and goofing off, and they're on a ship, um, and they're celebrating the promotion of Lieutenant Worf to Lieutenant Commander. And during this exercise, Picard gets some really scary news, very heavy drama, as um, 
his brother, his, his sister-in-law, and his nephew were killed in a fire. And the ship is then pulled into uh, another alert where a, a space station was attacked. Uh, they find an El Orion, Dr. Tolian, uh, who, who was um, trapped in there. And it turns out that uh, Tolian is trying to create a weapon. Uh, he's using the Klingon a- as allies to help fund it and to help get him where he needs to go. This weapon uh, blows up suns, and its whole purpose is to change course of the energy ribbon or the nexus that we saw the Enterprise B um, get get caught into. So the plot just really kind of centers around a, it's a game of chase and mystery trying to figure out where Tolian went. He's rescued by the Klingons. They're chasing him down. Uh, he's able to launch a missile, changes the course of the Nexus. While this is going on, the Federation flagship is battling a 60 or 70-year-old bird of prey and getting its ass kicked and winds up crashing on the surface. Then the sun blows up. The ribbon comes across uh, the the planet. I wanted to say Nimbus 3, but that's not the right name. Wrong movie, buddy. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. Another great Star Trek film, folks. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, uh, Dr. Vir- Viridian 3. Viridian 3. That's, I knew it had a 3. I had the last name right, guys. Yeah, the last, the last <laughs> name. Yes, that's, that's <laughs> it. <laughs> so the, uh, the ribbon comes down. It scoops up uh, Tolian. It scoops up Picard, who was on the planet trying to stop him as part of a hostage swap. Uh, Picard finds Captain James T. Kirk, convinces him that to uh, to to save the the planet of Viridian Three and millions of lives, he should go back with him. He does. Um, how I guess we'll talk about how, but they just decide to leave the Nexus, even though it has traveled long past Viridian Three. Get into a battle of um, very old people fighting on the side of a cliff, and then uh, Kirk, you know, gallantly jumps uh, to a broken bridge. Uh, allows the um, the the missile launcher to be uh, seen again because it was cloaked, and the team uh, Picard goes down there. Tholian dies. Kirk dies. Very sad moment. Uh, and and then the uh, the team is rescued by the Farragut and the Bozeman, and we are left with a um, a shattered Enterprise D, and uh, the hopes that a, a new adventure. Now that they have cut the strings with the original series, then moves on. And I'm ha- very happy to say that the next movie was pretty freaking awesome. But anyway, that is that is my synopsis. Well done, Ken. Very concise. I think so. So I'm listening for you guys. All right, Earl Grey, let's hear your opinions on the overview. What have I missed? They went and celebrated Christmas time in the Nexus. <laughs> that, that's what makes this the, the Star Trek Christmas movie, right? That's well, we right. could have done this or Wrath of Khan with it being lit up like a Christmas tree. So um, having an actual Christmas tree versus a you know a descriptive version of a Christmas tree seems to make Generations the, the go-to movie out of the two. Maybe a mention to the horses. I don't know. <laughs> I, I think you did a really good job. <laughs> Why, thank you. Well, that's, that's very nice of you. Amy, any comments before we get into this? Well, Data got his Christmas wish, and that is to get emotions. So that is a big highlight of the movie as well. You consider that a highlight? Come on, Ken. You, you <laughs> don't like Mr. <laughs> Mr. Tricorder? Make it so. 
<laughs> yeah, I guess there were pieces of this I missed because of like a PSD type of approach to this movie at times, but that's okay. Everybody has their own viewpoint. I think that's fun. So what are the things that, that we feel did well in this movie and what could have been improved? Lee, we'll start with you. Um, I think if you say to some Star Trek fans, let's watch or talk about Star Trek Generations, it feels like a bit of a nightmare before Christmas for them. Um, it's, you know, kind of a, it really is a kind of the, the odd numbered Star Trek movie in that respect that I think there's, I've said it before, I think there's a lot of actually brilliantly bold stuff in this movie, but everything else is a bit of a mess. I think the, the idea of focusing on the first big screen adventure featuring the next generation cast is that Picard is heartbroken and devastated because his family's died in a fire and he's debating the idea that I've lost my family where is my family legacy I don't want to have children so the Picard line's going to die that's pretty bold for a big screen movie I do not think we would ever get a Star Trek movie that would explore you know something like that nowadays it's it's very unique in that respect and i think the arc with picard in that respect is just second to none the nexus stuff the you know the passing of the baton it just doesn't work so well for me and the less said about the data part the better it's just you know ugh, it's not the best uh, is it is it safe to say you hate this <laughs> I don't hate it. I'm just, you know, it's a all over the place movie. Um, it is revolting. Yeah. <laughs> more? Uh, yeah. N- no, no more. Um, unless it's Star Trek First Contact. It's just, it's a, it's all over the place. There's some amazing stuff in there. There's some frustrating stuff in there. There's some downright terrible ideas in there. It's just a very interesting movie in terms of choices that they made. Yeah. Okay. So, Amy, what did you think worked well, and and what could have been improved? Well, I really like the idea of the Nexus and all of the references to how people view time. You know, time is a fire that burns within and jaws of time. And I think it's very fitting because you have, you know, Kirk and obviously getting older and as all of the TNG staff or sorry, crew, um, getting older and I like that that arc of what does time mean to you and what is it in your life and you can see what it means for them it has Picard you know sort of looks at his immortality and we see Kirk's immortality Uh, and then the whole idea of going to a place where time doesn't matter I mean that's so cool I would like to be in the nexus well, all right. I mean, that, that, that's a fair commentary. First of all, it's okay to call him a staff. That's what people that run hotels are called. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't resist. But uh, So, Richard, what, what did you think, man? Uh, I actually liked this movie. Um, it's a great episode. Or, well, yeah, basically. It's it is, a, movie it is a great episode, Richard. You're correct. <laughs> that's it's, the problem. It, it, <laughs> well, I think that's what that's that's ultimately what I uh, what I saw it as when it when it came out is that basically it, it's a longer episode, and uh, you know just like what Lee was saying about the uh, Picard's legacy. I mean, it would have been great for them to maybe do another movie that revolves around that later on down the road. But I mean, I, I thought I didn't have any problems with it because I actually liked, I really liked this uh, movie quite a bit. Well, that's good because you, you'll you'll give a very good perspective on this, and it, it's good to have balance when we talk through these things. And and I'll just say a couple things. the The movie when it was coming out, I was really excited for it because all good things was wonderful. If if that had been the movie, that would have been the ultimate Star Trek movie. I think. Imagine what they could have done with that with a movie budget. Agreed. Right? Because it was 
incredible. So it was coming off a high. We hadn't seen anybody from the original team uh, for three or four years at that point since 1991 when when Star Trek Six had come out. So we were ready for it for a Star Trek film. And, you know, what, what I took from it was they tried to do way too much and add way too much drama and, and, and they overcomplicated it. I didn't like the the Picard arc with his family dying in a fire. It just doesn't sound very 24th century to me, and it seemed very forced. And it allowed, to a degree, for Patrick Stewart to, to really show off his acting chops, but didn't add much more to it. You know, I mean, I couldn't feel it. I felt like the death of his family, the death of the Enterprise, the death of Kirk— it was too much. It was, it was like, why? You know, I, I know we need to have drama and shake things up when we go from TV to movie, but I think they tried to do it all at once, and it just became a jumbled mess versus telling a clear-cut story. And And I felt that Captain Kirk got robbed. I really did. If he was supposed to go out in a blaze of glory, they just didn't get the mark. And it's so disappointing because the two writers that wrote this script are incredible. We know they have incredible ability and talent, so let that's why I guess from a TOS perspective, it's like here, here in my opinion, right? It's the greatest captain of all time, and it wasn't it wasn't well written, it wasn't well thought out, and I always felt the Nexus made. Well, it's a nice place to go visit. I don't know how you just leave it and you're back where you started if the thing is in constant motion. And I could not get around. It's like okay, we choose to leave. Uh, anyway, all right, Zach, what are your thoughts? Well, I've, I've talked about Generations on an episode of Melodic Tricks with Brandon Shamatella. He's a he's a big fan of this of this film, and I talk. Oh, we, there's a shock. <laughs> <laughs> we mainly talked around the, about the soundtrack, Dennis McCartney's score, but of course, we discussed the movie itself. And you know, this movie, you know, I was a kid, I was a child of the next generation, so I was very excited to see like this is my Star Trek. Ever going going to the movies? It's very rare that you get to see TV shows turn into movies, especially your favorite TV shows. If you ever see it, it's usually years later. It's a reboot, something you know, like Lost in Space or Starsky and Hutch or you know whatever you want to <laughs> example you want to use, right? But you know, you get to see the same cast of characters in the same set, and it's the next step from the story. So that was huge. And and you know, the only other show I can think of that did this was the X Files. Uh, back when it had a film, and it had a film in the middle of its show, which is even more interesting, uh, an interesting approach. So in the 90s, they were testing these waters, right? Um, you know, so you see it, and there's a lot you do, uh, you are familiar with from the show. You have the same sets, you have a lot of the same uniforms, you know, the, uh, the characters are all in the same places in life that we left them off at. Uh, so in many ways, this feels like the most next generation of the next generation movies because it's all the familiar Guinan is there 10 forward you know the ready room the holodeck all, all the tropes of next generation are here um but they're better you know it's cinematic you know you, the lighting in this film is excellent i liked how people say oh they turned all the lights off i've always liked the enterprise d lit this way uh you know whenever we see like an alternate futures or red alert you know when it when it's dark and it looks less like the hotel marriott they always <laughs> that we always poke fun of it for being when it's well lit because very flat television lighting a lot of the times on a lot of the sets but here you know it's very dynamic you see the the sun coming through the ready room you get to see you know great new sets like stellar cartography that's a great set they, they it was so awesome they reused it for cerebro in the x-men movies <laughs> 
with Patrick Stewart. Uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, compare that compare that to like cartography to what we get in Nemesis. Obviously, the budget had been cut. Nemesis re- was reusing, you know, I, th- I believe those maybe a Voyager set or something, but. But here, stellar cartography, stellar cartography, it's hard to say. Stellar cartography looks looks really cool. And and you can see the budget on the big screen. They expanded so much. And like just like, not to the same extreme, but similarly, when you made the jump from the original series to the motion picture, there was a massive upgrade. Of course, it was new models, new sets, and everything. At least here in the next generation, you could see like, okay, we were at TV here, and now we're at, we're at cinema here. We're doing film. This is good-looking stuff. Now... Some of the story decisions questionable. Uh, I liked a lot of the elements, like Amy, you were talking about, you know, how how we all interpret time and all that. I think, you know, time. You, you might you could retitle Star Trek Time Trek because all many of the best episodes and movies of Star Trek are about time, and I think they could have just delved into that and explored that alone uh, without getting into all this other stuff. Because I don't I don't think we needed a passing of the baton film. I felt like Star Trek Six. Handled it quite nicely. We had a little cameo from Michael Dorn as Colonel Worf, right? And then they talk about change and accepting, you know, passing, you know, uh, this will now be passed on to another crew. And, and the Enterprise, literally, the Enterprise A flies off into the sunset. And you're like, that's a great way to leave the crew. You know, we find out what happens to Spock and McCoy and Scotty. But you know what? Let's just, let's leave Kirk to legend. Let's not even mention what happens to him. You know, I mean, he he's like Davy Crockett, right? He just rides off and, you know, he's, just a, he's, he's a legend, right? So it was, I don't think it was necessary to uh, you know, kill him in the way they did. And I understand that they wanted to go, like, kind of do what you didn't expect. You know, like, oh, didn't great heroes have, you know, they don't always get an awesome heroic ending. But I don't know. I mean, for one of the best fictional characters of all time, I think we can all agree that it was disappointing to see Kirk, you know, fall off a bridge, which was actually, they that was the second version. Originally, he was going to get shot in the back. And they're like, yeah, that doesn't work. Let's have him fall off a bridge. It's like, guys, come on. It's, <laughs> so there, it's it's a really mixed bag. It's a really mixed bag. Um, but it is by far the second best Next Generation movie in my book. So those are my thoughts in a nutshell. Okay. In a big nut, in a big nutshell. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, I'm along the same lines. You know, watching TNG and then saying, "Yeah, we're gonna get this movie." You know, I'm a little protective, and it's like, why is Kirk in there? I really wanted it just to be the next generation. And when you look at the history of Next Generation, when it started, they just so wanted to not have anything to do with TOS and to break away and to be their own show, and then to have their first movie sort of go against sort of what they were doing for the past seven years of being their own, then to bring back Kirk and, you know, that whole original series, I'm like, well, why are they doing that? They have proven themselves that they can go seven years, a little bit longer than the original series. And, uh, you know, so this movie, I just wanted it to be them. And so it, it was a little odd for me i think it could be argued that star trek 6 is in my opinion the best star trek movie and it has the perfect ending that where no man no but where no one has gone before that is the best way to pass over the baton in just two simple sentences and it doesn't need this convoluted thing like we need to have them on the screen somehow let's how do we and then building from there like you always got the impression that rick berman gave them a shopping list and when we need you to have this in a movie this in a movie i mean the original pitch was that they were going to have 
the Enterprise fighting the other Enterprise. And it's like, why? You know, like it was just like they were throwing ideas at things to, at the writers, Ronald D. Moore and Brandon Braga, without thinking, what is makes sense and what is best for the next generation crew? And do we even need the original series crew? And not just building ideas to kind of shove them in together. And, you know, the, the death of Kirk is just atrocious it's just a, a you know he he die he dies hard but it's it's terrible it's 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 not memorable it packs no punch it's just ultimately a disappointment and those aren't words you should associate with james t kirk i don't know i actually liked i, I liked him in this movie I, I i mean it was there was that right humor uh, uh you know especially interacting with picard and everything because you know old body is not really has that dry sense of humor, but uh, I, I, I don't I don't know. I, I liked him in this movie. I, I didn't have a problem with this movie at at, at all. I mean, yeah, it could have it could have done without him, but I mean, I, I thought it added more. Plus, it was a great setup movie for um, First Contact. I mean, we get a new ship and and all that. <laughs> right. Well, you you could have done the setup for First Contact without Kirk and the original crew. I mean, because talking from the standard perspective here, like. Like, there's so much behind-the-scenes stuff in this movie that you could just go into. You can only judge it for what it is, though. But it's so obvious to me, and once I found this out, right? like, originally, there was to be Kirk, Spock, and McCoy, as it would always be, right? And they and Leonard Nimoy was like, well, well, they actually, Rick Berman asked Leonard Nimoy to direct this film. And he's like, well, he read the script. And then he was like, well, we need to rewrite this. <laughs> You know, and they're like, well, there's no time. We have to keep moving. And he's like, well, no. Well, then I pass on directing and I pass on appearing. And DeForest Kelly was like, well, if he's not going to do it, I'm not going to do it. So they just left William Shatner, right? And you know, Shatner. I mean, I, I, he's like, oh, just me? Sure, I'll be in it. And I'm, I'm sure he got a lot of money. And and I'm sure it was all good time was had by all. Him and Patrick Stewart became good friends, and they still are friends to this day. So that's great and all. But man, if, if William Shatner had just said no. That would have been great for Star Trek, I think. I mean, I know the publicity. Of, you know, you, you all remember the posters, two captains, one destiny, other faces. I mean, that gets people really excited uh, to see. To, I mean, it's, man, Kirk and Picard coming together. Because uh, Deep Space Nine had just started at this point. It wasn't, you know, it, 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 to the general public, there were two Star Treks, and this was the movie bringing the two of them together. But Kirk, Scotty, and Chekhov, what in like an odd mix mash of like, okay, who who's available? Who will show up, right? I mean, it just feels so weird. Uh, I mean, well, it was very forced, right? Yeah. I mean, they don't even bother changing the script. You, you, and you—you've just become nurses. Let's go. What? <laughs> oh, even 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 Scotty's line, you know. That's right. Using they don't. a resonant burst. Da, 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 and it's like, oh my god, the poor guy—he can't act anymore. Is there something wrong with your chair? <laughs> Why am I putting on a fake Scottish accent? I'm Scottish. <laughs> yeah, but it's just—it was rough. Yeah, James Doohan was really struggling with the techno battle, wasn't he? Yeah, guys? <laughs> he was because it wasn't. Um, it, you know, let's let's face it. You know, TNG developed and made famous the techno battle. I mean, it was great filler for a lot of their episodes, and I liked it too to a degree. But it, it just was like coming out of Scotty's mouth, and the, you could see he was hesitant with it because it, it's just terms they never used. You know, you never heard. Half the expressions that were used in TNG and TOS, you started to see it follow on, and uh, yeah, he he really struggled. That that bridge scene for me, although it was kind of cute, it was it was hard to watch. Well, really I, you know, watch. I think it would have been you know reframing this as like a, a an episode, right? Like this would have been an excellent like climax to an episode. You know, like the tension is building; they have to save these ships from this energy ribbon. They somebody needs to go down to the engine room and set off the tractor beam or deflector dish or whatever it is. That that's a great ending, and that would have been like a good climax. Maybe not a Star Trek film, but an episode. So like as a as a little vignette 
from the 23rd century i liked that you know and like it's really cool when you see them go, like go downstairs like down to the bottom of the ship and they're like looking out into space and you know baby it's cold outside but I, I can imagine like looking out in space and thinking like that's where captain kirk is he's he's you know been vaporized he's gone like that's a horrific thing and i love the cameo of zach moore as the cameraman in the face of picard <laughs> in the face of kirk and uh, john harriman so yeah it was good to see uh, some of the trek fm represented on the bridge <laughs> it, it was so <laughs> So, Amy, you you like the Nexus, and so and and because you know, for me, it's it's a hard thing to grasp. But I'd like to understand how you felt about it, and in your theory on it as a plot device. Oh, I think it was a great plot device, and like I said before, you know, how you view time, and the older I get. You know, it's like, oh, there's so much behind me and, you know, what could you relive? And then seeing Kirk go through and say, oh, I'm going to ask her to marry me again. Oh, I'm going to, you know, jump over this little river stream thing, you know, and the opportunity to relive some of your favorite moments in life is very interesting to me because you always have the memory of it. And like Kirk points out, it's like, well, the memory isn't always as as vibrant as the actual, you know, and so that was sort of his turning point of, yeah, this isn't really real. And so I just really like that. And then you see how Picard deals with it with the time. And for some reason, he seems to not be as caught up in it, which I'm not quite sure why that is, um, you know, but I like that when he's looking at the Christmas tree, and don't get me started about the Christmas scene because that's the worst part of the movie for that, me. That's why. That's why we're that's here. Why we're here. <laughs> oh yeah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> the twinkling of the stars. Papa, wow. Papa, you help me put together my dollhouse. <laughs> the car's surrounded by his own little Christmas elf. <laughs> so why oh, do they God. have a merry-go-round? I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. In the middle of in the middle of the house, right? Forget yeah. fairy tale of New York. It's fairy tale of because France. if you could have one, you would. I'm sorry, Amy. Continue. <laughs> but I like how you know he looks at the ornament and you see the star exploding, and and then that brings to memory oh his purpose for here. So for some reason, his purpose is a little bit more clear than everyone else in the Nexus, and you know. I, Maybe you guys can help me explain the whole Guinan thing. Is she there? Is she not there? Wasn't she taken out? And well, is she's on an the echo D? of the Guinan you knew, Amy. I know. I tried to listen so carefully to the explanation. I'm like, but is she there? I don't know. So, well, it was to give Whoopi Goldberg more to do exactly, in the film. and she's that's not even credited. She's literally not credited in the titles for this. Really? Movie. Yeah. Uh, it, you know, that's probably a Screen Actors Guild thing. She probably would have had to been first or last, and. Shatner was allowed like and William Shatner is Captain James T. Kirk. You couldn't have another and Whoopi Goldberg is Guinan. But you know, this is the one film I mean, she has a very brief cameo in Nemesis, but this is the one film that Guinan actually plays a big role. I mean, like the whole crux of it she's connected to, which is great, because Whoopi Goldberg was always excellent on the next generation. And I'm glad they were able to incorporate her in at least one of the movies in a significant way. And yeah, the physics in that is is a little complicated, like because then everybody says, "Oh, there was an echo of Guinan. Is there an echo of Kirk? Can we go back and save him?" And that echo is just such a, a loophole that yeah. could always be you know taken advantage of by fan theories and books and comic books and all that good stuff, right? So, yeah. So Richard, you're the one who uh, I believed used the technology to beam yourselves into a standard orbit broadcast who's supposed to be answering these questions. You like this movie? Talk. Tell me about the Nexus. What did you like about it? 
talk to me. Uh, you, you know, I, I actually that was the part I didn't like. <laughs> oh come on! Right, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna join up with the standard Robert people here because I, I've told them Star Trek Six is the best Star Trek movie, so I'm in the good books. Like the Nexus, the biggest issue. Richard. <laughs> The biggest issue with the Nexus is not the hokey science, but the fact that it's not Dr. Crusher that is his wife. Like, do they know it's Christmas time? Like, you should have, a you know, Dr. Crusher there, like, surrounded by your loved ones and family. Not just this kind of generic person that was married to Picard. That they looks like Doc- Crusher, mind you. Yeah, but it's it's mm, not Yeah, Crusher. he has a type. Like, exactly. you know, it should it should be her. Like, you know, it gives Gates McFadden some more to do. It's a bit of fan service. It's true to the characters. I think it's um, a really shocking decision that they went down that road and didn't make it um, Dr. Crusher. I mean, it was, yeah, really bizarre. I mean, that would have been a, a touch of class. It, it's just little things like that that separate from being a, you know, an, an okay movie to being a great movie that respects the characters and where they've been. Well, and the whole idea that he's, that Picard's, you know, main desire is to have family and this wife and this warm fireplace and Christmas. No, he's never wanted that in any of the episodes previous to that. So why all of a sudden are we getting that this is his main one true desire? I don't get it. And then to fact that he's remembers his purpose as to why he's there. His purpose is to save the universe. That's what we know and love Picard for. Not this whole Christmas kids. No, don't buy it. But I think it's almost a Picard version of it's a wonderful life that we get to see what Picard's like as a, um, an individual that we know the Picard like I don't believe this is what Picard truly wants but it almost gives us a this is his wonderful life what would it be like for him if he made certain other decisions in his career Um, and he focused on family the Picard line you know legacy that he has turned his back on so I like to think of it like that that you know every time a bell rings an angel gets his wings in the nexus that's the old saying isn't it come on Richard I've been waiting for you, buddy. Yeah, Lee hit the na- uh, uh, hit the nail on the head because I was just about to say something about uh, yeah we didn't we didn't really see him wanting a family and yeah he said uh, I, th- I can't remember which episode he said it uh, it might have been in the movie that you know when Renee was born that he didn't feel the responsibility of passing on the line I, I guess that could be like I mean that could be like a hidden thought or something like that that we we obviously won't ever see in the uh, in the series but that was also what i hated about it because i didn't like the fire thing and i didn't like the whole crystals thing <laughs> but uh i mean i mean it was nice but don't get me wrong i, ju- I just didn't i didn't like it <laughs> so so do you and amy have a picture of santa claus like with ghostbusters and a line through him i mean what's this anti-christmas <laughs> stuff going on here you know what but that's a great idea i'm gonna do it's that the, now it's the most wonderful don't you time dare. of year, guys what's wrong with you <laughs> No, I, I agree with what you guys are saying about the, the Nexus fantasies for both of them, really, because Picard would not be in an old, well, English, but he's French. That's a thing, right? <laughs> Picard's French, but everything is English, like the Earl Grey and the, the, the proper wife and all that stuff. He would not, he would that would not be his fantasy. And then Kirk's fantasy would, of course, not be living in at his uncle's barn in Idaho, right? He'd be on the bridge of that ship making a difference. Like, he tells Picard that. But it's like, why wasn't that your fantasy, right? Why, why weren't you on the bridge of the Enterprise? You know, well, the answer is we couldn't get the TOS cast to come back and be in your Nexus fantasy, I guess. But Yeah, I mean, they're forcing this idea of family on it and on us, and it's not jiving well in the movie. 
Well, here's the thing is, so when, when we're looking at Picard's uh, fantasy, I mean, uh, the way I'm seeing it is that it's very traditional, very formal, and that's ultimately what he is throughout the series. And then when we, when we look at uh, Kirk, he's a very outdoorsman uh, sort of like person, very spontaneous. And I, I think both of the, I mean, if we're, if, I mean, I, I, we wouldn't change that kind of like uh, vision for either one of them, or at least that's how I'm seeing it. But the, the the biggest disappointment is that you you have these two larger than life iconic characters, and um, you've put them together in a world essentially where anything can go, anything can go, and they go, "What are we gonna do, Captain Kirk, Captain Picard? Anything goes." Making eggs and toasts. It's like <laughs> what? It's it's ridiculous, you know. It's American breakfast. You know. Okay, well, I think we've 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 covered the nexus pretty well here, and and so. Good movie for for a lot of it for for some of you folks, but but I guess that was tricky for all of us to get our arms around, and and that's okay. You know that's that's we we can't always have the greatest plot, plot device, and I think that circles back to what I was saying. They were just trying to do too much. They were just trying to do too much, and if they had honed it in, told a really good um, a good action film with a good serious B plot line with some drama in it, I think it would have been would have been the um, the perfect mix, but. You know, to be honest with you guys, the, the biggest issue I had with the film was the death of, of Captain Kirk, right? So I know most of you, if not all of you, are all TNG disciples. Uh, started there, um, picked up the, the series and might have looked back, but you're honed in on, on The Next Generation. And that's, that's great because that's, everybody has their entryway into Star Trek. But I've always been an original series guy. And uh, that doesn't mean I don't love TNG. I do. But I just always felt that Kirk was by far... Um, you know, a, a, a great character, a, a real hero. And, you know, he, when, when you say icons, he really is a big piece of pop culture. I mean, more so than, than any other Star Trek captain has ever been, right? You know, Khan and things, and you, you see references back to, to Star Trek all the time. And I, I just, I, I think the, the studio wanted to pull these two together because they wanted a blockbuster. And, if you and remember back in those times too, there were there were many more of the original uh, fans uh, around. Oh, people were picking up on TNG, um, and and so it figures you know they wanted to attract both audiences. Probably very much unaware that it was pretty much all one audience. Meaning that I don't know very many TOS people, fans, original series guys, gals that don't love TNG. It, it like everybody else it took a while for that show to find its legs but once it did it was it was it was damn good edit that piece out Zach I don't want people to know that just kidding <laughs> uh, so so I, I think that that's probably what what my biggest hang-up was you know throughout the whole movie I was like okay when are they bringing Captain Kirk back in how are they going to do it how clever is this going to be I was waiting for a climax that was just going to um, to take it to a whole nother level and it really landed with a thud you know so that that's where i'm coming from i'm curious how you guys saw the uh the death of captain kirk and and i know we kind of touched on it but we didn't hear from everyone for me it's just totally limp i mean it's slightly better than the original ending which you know that's damning praise in itself but th this this isn't how captain kirk should go i mean the ending of star trek 6 is perfect um he should have just gone to neverland and that was it we never you know we could have touched upon him in other shows oh captain kirk this captain kirk that but we never needed to see anything you know beyond that like why kill him it's it's not needed it just seemed unnecessary and a lazy way of handing over the baton that 
you have no choice but to inherit the baton if the person's dead oh that's is that how it works it's like in, you know instead of uh, handing over the baton it's essentially inheriting it through death yeah, I, I agree. Uh, definitely, we could have done without uh, the death of uh, Kirk. I mean, I, I still like it. It doesn't matter, you know. But, I mean, yeah, we definitely could have. I mean, it, and it sucks that he dies alone because, well, he dies with Picard. He's always known. But, He'll die alone. Yeah. And he didn't. He Well, yeah, that's true. <laughs> All I'm talking about was Spock and, you know, McCoy. That's who I'm talking about. <laughs> but, like, yeah, it, it's, yeah, I mean, we, de- we definitely could have done without it. Um, but either way, it still, to me, it doesn't take away from the film. Yeah, I don't, you know, I'm not the biggest TOS fan, but still, I cannot. Oh, <laughs> <Uh-oh. laughs> we're in their territory, Amy. Oh, oops, we're visiting you, so sorry. <laughs> now, what are you, you going to say something about my mother? Where are you going with this? <laughs> but even I can recognize that that is the, not the way to handle someone as great as, you know, Captain James T. Kirk. And I I didn't like it. I I didn't feel that it was, you know, proper send-off for him. And if you I mean at the beginning of the movie where he's saving the Enterprise B, that's a great way to go. You know? Um, and then to bring him back and you know, I I agree with you. It's not a proper send-off for such an icon- iconic and fabulous character as Kirk. It would be, as as we talk about future crossover episodes, and of course there's plenty of TNG episodes with TOS cast members, what might be fun is a rewrite of this movie, maybe even the ending. Yeah. I, just, just, I, just a suggestion. I, I, have, I, have, I have ideas already, so I'll, yes, just, I'll just... I'll, I'll, okay. I'll, I'll find my old fan fiction and pull that up. No, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> no, I, uh, I, I agree with you, Amy. I, I was just about to say that. I think of all, of all the deaths of Kirk that were possible, obviously the deleted one where he gets shot in the back by Soren, the one in the film where he falls off the bridge, and then the one at the beginning of the movie where he gets sucked out in the space at the, you know, in, on the Enterprise B, that's the best one of the three. They could have just... It is. I mean, they could have just... That that, that would have been okay. You know, I mean, because there's a sense of, of mystique to it. You know, I mean, just to see his dead body under a, a bridge and then to know that Picard piled some rocks on him they left. Like, did Picard tell anybody that Captain Kirk saved the day? Did he take all the credit? You know? I mean, like, yeah, I stopped Soren. It was no big deal. <laughs> yeah, I mean, at least Kirk is at least Kirk is saving the ship that he loves, Enterprise B. You know, Enterprise. So it makes sense. Okay, so let's let's take it one other spot. Let's go back a little bit, and um, I, I know I'm queuing you up, Zach, but I'd like to hear all your opinions. What about this battle with this old bird of prey? Oh. Was that realistic? Was that was that the way for the flagship of the Federation to go down? I, I have I have a few like hot button issues when it comes to star trek <laughs> and this is one of them like i can go on rants about many things and this is one of them like are you kidding me first of all in in the context of the film Worf even says oh it's an old style bird of prey like x amount of years old so it's a little bird of prey too it's not even one of the big ones like from yesterday's enterprise and yet it's it, it finds out the, the the shield modulation of the enterprise d and then that's it then it can shoot some torpedoes and cause a warp core breach are you kidding me like are these ships complete like uh, china dolls without the shields you know what i'm saying like it just doesn't yes, to me that doesn't that does not track the shields I, to me it makes perfect sense you find out the shield frequencies and then you're able to hit it what i, I don't understand amy, your confusion amy did you see star trek six <laughs> did you see what the ship that was 80 holes, years younger holes of how long through the through it and the damn thing's still going i mean it's it's 
awful. It's like it, I'm the same as you, Zach. This is an issue that drives me nuts every time. And I'll, I'm going to break it down into a few points. Firstly, you know, it's really cool seeing this effect of an Enterprise and a Klingon bird of prey going at each other. Excellent. What, where is it? Firstly, why is this the issue that, oh, um, plasma cause, plasma cause, plasma cause, pl- what? just fight each other. No one needs to have some sort of special <laughs> thing like plasma cause. No one has a clue what they're talking about. In Star Trek Six, oh, it's got to have a tailpipe. Okay, that makes sense. I'm with it. They're just blabbing on about these plasma coils on and on, and it's ridiculous. And what I find then infuriating is that after this, after we've had this explosion, they go, it's decloaking. It's, well, it's cloaking, so it's shields are down. It's not cloaking at all. It's just literally, in shot, it's not decloaking whatsoever. And this torpedo that's taken about dramatic pause, it's cloaking, so you've not got much time. They take forever to fire the torpedo. And then it's the reuse of the shot. How yes, cheap yes. could they be? And if you watch the Blu-ray special features, like a true nerd, they t- they speak to the guys and they go, you know what? We actually had everyone came down to the set that day on ILM to see what they were going to do with the shot. Everyone wanted to see the explosion, the big Klingon explosion. Oh, awesome. Wait, in the film, it's the Star Trek Six one. It's <laughs> so cheap, like... Both these movies come out at Christmas time. Last Christmas, you had Star Trek VI. You had this amazing climax. And now this year, you get the same climax again. That's not a Christmas present. That's just like rewrapping something else. It's Re-gifting so the ultimate offense. Yeah. White elephant so gift. cheap and offensive. And it's just, oh. Well, I mean, do they terrible. take us as idiots? Like, I mean, seriously, this is 1991 and 1994 all right home video exists star trek fans are watching this stuff all the time right i mean like by the time star trek generations comes around star trek 6 is burned into your brain you're gonna you're gonna know like hey that's the same exact shot i mean that is inexcusable this is a big budget movie and to me like uh, uh, taking like the in-universe reason there's a bird of prey whatever right they could have used they could have changed some plot around they could have used either the the galron flagship from, you know, Reunion and all that. The, I forget all the Klingon classes of ships, right? But we have that one. Or you have the the future one from All Good Things that shows up in Deep Space Nine. Or, like, the next flagship. Either one of those, you could have had a real battle, like, a true all-out space battle with the Enterprise-D. Which we never really got to see, ever. Because the Borg is always, you know, owning it. <laughs> you know, the Romulan Warbirds, they almost attack, but they don't. You know, so there's never really a true all-out battle between the Enterprise D and another spaceship. And I get on the TV show, you don't have the budget for that. That's fine. That's not what Star Trek's about. But we're in the movies now. Let's go all-out. Let's do it. So uh, to me, it's like, well, we could use this new model. Or, or guys, if we reuse the Bird of Prey, we can use the same footage from last time and save us a few bucks. Let's do that. And I feel like that was the driving force, and that just makes me so mad. (laughs) You know? (laughs) It's just... uh, It's the climax of the film, people. It's inexcusable. So... That's my did take. it bother you? Did it bother you at Richard? Or did it bother you at all? It did bother me. Uh, for something so simple that uh, you know, a torpedo can go right through the damn uh, ship or shield and then hit it, you would think that there'd be some kind of like, well, I know, Deep Space Nine. My, I'm bringing in my Deep Space Nine knowledge here, but like, you know, a blade of armor or something like that. You know, that's you think that something like that would be heavily uh, fortified anyway. I mean, but then again, the Enterprise is not a military ship. Oh, so, here we go. <laughs> Starfleet is a humanitarian and peacekeeping armada, Ken. Right. That's right. I think you say that every week to me. I but think, I think I do appreciate I do. that. Thank you. But, like, I, I mean, you I, yeah, I agree. You know, I mean, but then again, it's the Enterprise. It's slow moving. I'm sure, like, a bird of prey could be maneuvering and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, like, a, something like an all out attack. I mean, there's not, like, what, yeah. four torpedos on the Enterprise. Well, <laughs> I mean, what, the, once is the, the climax, the, though? I mean, like, seriously, I know, I know we're talking about it, but. 
yes, the bird of prey exploded, but then we then but after that we have the Enterprise blow up, we have the planet and the sun blow up, we have the Nexus, then we redo it all again. So it's it, I don't know, maybe they thought, okay, well it's in the middle of the movie, it's not that big of a deal, and we'll just move on from that. Climax to the Enterprise D story. It's still, yeah. I think I think one of the mistakes that they've made in the TOS films and the TNG movies, to be honest with you, uh, and even in the rebooted movies, um, and, and you know it was interesting because uh, about a, a couple months ago we did a, a very long thread. It was a fun thread on the Babel conference, and we talked about the favorite ships and so forth. and And I remember listening and reading all the different, re- I should say, reading to the different perspectives of how they viewed the ship and what was their favorite. But I think what, what a lot of time the producers m- miss probably because you have the actors that are always in the writer's faces, is that the Enterprise is a character, right? It is not just some, it is just not a vessel. It has a special name and a special part of it. And, you know, I always wanted to be the best. In, in, in TNG, I always wanted, you know, it was the Federation flagship. That's what I liked about it the most. You know, I, I could struggle sometimes with the, you know, the mode and the families on board and stuff. I, I struggled with that in the early years and, and the whole concept of it. But it was still the Enterprise. It was supposed to be the best ship in the fleet. And so to have an old, old vessel, uh, 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 you know, uh, uh, smaller than a frigate, if you were to use naval terms, against a battleship. I know it's not the military, Zach, but it still had a zillion more phaser banks and torpedoes than that um bird of prey so after one shot from the bird of prey it it should have just been you know an all-out massacre of that of that ship you know what i mean and it just wasn't and it's like uh, if they had rammed it if they had done anything else it would have made it more you know effective it, if the if the bird of prey just charged right into that engineering section that would have allowed it to do what they wanted to do with the sasa separation and make it really cool they could have done it that way but you know i just don't like seeing the way they they've treated any of the enterprises for that matter in any of the movies it's it's not right in my opinion because to me it is the primary character the enterprise c had the best ending out of all of them we didn't even get to see it (laughs) you know know, speaking of the saucer separation though i remember when i was a kid you know uh watching this movie the first time with my parents and um you know you know what the saddest part of this movie was for me not not the kirk died not the enterprise d got destroyed when that little girl dropped her teddy bear in the hallway oh. and was like, oh. And then like, my mom was like, that's okay. Data's going to go back and get it. I remember she told me that. <laughs> no, they just stepped I mean, on it, right? They linger on it as well. Like, it's it literally. So and I thought when I was a kid, like, oh, they're lingering on this toy. Is this going to play? Are they going back for it? Is this something? It's literally like 20 seconds on this dead little bear. They they treat it like it's the shaving can from Jurassic Park, right? Yeah. <laughs> oh God! They're setting up for the sequel. But I was like, that is what that is what made me the most sad of this movie. And I'm like, why did you do that? Were you just trying to like make like pull on our heartstrings some more? You're killing Kirk. You're blowing up Enterprises. You're blowing up planets. Is that not enough? Do we have to like torture the children in the audience as well? I know. No one cared about Bobo the teddy bear. It was very sad. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Maybe Picard will bring back one from uh, the Nexus that he'll like have all these Christmas presents under the tree. And he goes, Kirk, before we go back, let me just go behind this tree. Just grab all the presents. You'll come back to the Enterprise. You'll find this little girl. Merry Christmas, everyone. And like give her this little bear. I, you know, I never yeah, really this paid used to be my attention. daughters. Here you go. Yeah, exactly. Gosh. Well, I mean, that's that's crazy. I mean, there, there's a uh, there's a great there's a great Superman story by Alan Moore, one of the most respected authors in comic books. And it's called For the Man Who Has Everything. And they've adapted it on an episode of Justice League Unlimited, uh, the cartoon. They've adapted it for Supergirl. 
uh, last season on Supergirl TV show. And it's about if it's it's this uh, plant called the Black Mercy and it attaches it to you and it, it puts you in this uh, perfect state. Like it gives you the, the, the greatest fantasy life you could ever have, right? Life is perfect and, and all that stuff, but it, it takes you out of the real world, right? I mean, you're just incapacitated by it. So one of Superman's villains gives him this and he experiences life like if Krypton had never exploded and he had a family, you know, and but but through the course of the story, he realizes, oh, this is fake. This is not real. But in the moment, it's real to him. Right. And it's such an emotional struggle to break out of that and to to come back to the real life. And when he come when he does break out of it, he is so mad because like how, how you did this. This is the worst thing you could ever do to me. Give me everything I ever wanted and then have it be fake and take it away. And that's a great I mean. There should have been some repercussions from that. If you have, I mean, Kirk, Kirk can, show, can shake stuff off. He's like that. But Picard, you know, if he had this family and kids and all that, I mean, that's that's a lot of stuff to, to think to exist in a world where, like, you had everything you ever wanted and have it and then leave from it. I mean, that's, that's Soren's whole thing, I guess, right? That's his character motivation. I will say, I think Soren is actually a really good Star Trek villain. Um, I think he's underrated. I think he gets lost in the shuffle of everything that's going on here. I think Malcolm McDowell is a great actor. Regardless of the stories or, or the films of themselves, I think Star Trek consistently casts great actors as their villains. And I think that motivation for Soren is great. And that's what he's trying to do. He's trying to get back to that fantasy fantasy world. You know, I mean, and then who's to say any, any of us wouldn't go to those crazy lengths? If, if you feel like you had everything taken away from you, you have one chance to, re, to regain everything you had lost. Although, if the Nexus can really take you at any time and place, wouldn't he just, like, use it to go back in time? See, that's the, that's the thing. We keep going back to the Nexus. and like, is it you live in the fantasy? Does it take you at any time and place? It's very confusing. But I guess my point with all that is there was a lot of emotional meat to be to be had with, with that, like, here's your fantasy life. It's not real now. It's taken away from you. And that that's something that got lost in the shuffle in this film, I think. Well, speak for yourself, Zach. I, I have no intention of blowing up a star to go have a Christmas tree and Christmas dinner and all that sort of stuff. I mean, that's just me. I, I you know, if, if you're fine doing that, it's more more power to you. But that's not me. I'm too good a guy. <laughs> all right, this has been a pretty good discussion. I'm, I'm enjoying this, folks. So, you know, as as we were as we were outlining how we were going to approach the show, uh, it's. It is interesting. We we're, we do look at generations, even though there's a couple of Scrooges in the room apparently, as the as the Christmas film, right? And so if um, if if we think of as Star Trek versus another series, I don't know, Zach, how would you like to word this? Well, I guess the best way to put it is how how is the Star Trek holiday special compared to the Star Wars holiday special? Guys, you have any thoughts on that? <laughs> this is the first question we need to ask: Is I unfortunately have seen the Star Wars Holiday Special. Have any of my fellow Earl Grey people seen the Star Wars Holiday Special? The Holiday Special. That's uh, enough. Yeah. Amy? I, I, oh. if, you, if you don't immediately know what we're talking about, then you haven't seen it. Yeah. <laughs> oh my <laughs> goodness. You guys have not seen the Star I Wars Holiday I probably have, but I don't even know what you're referencing well, to. Imagine, oh, it only aired one time. Imagine this, In 1977. Amy. Art Carney giving a pornographic hologram to a Wookiee. That's the Star Wars yep. Holiday Special. That is the Star Wars Holiday Special. I kiss I, you. Uh, I, I, have, I have not seen it in its entirety either. I mean, my friends have always said, okay, one day we're going to get together and, and, and make a day mm-hmm. of it and, and watch this kick back a few. But uh, it is it is a... Well, it's a holiday special that came out in 1978, I believe, Lee. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's um, right, yeah. And it was a, It had the entire cast of Star Wars, minus Al Guinness and uh, Peter Cushing, because they were respectable actors at the time. They were like, "We're not doing this." But the, you had Mark <laughs> Hamill, Carrie Fisher, 
Harrison Ford, I assume Kenny Baker and Peter Mayhew, uh, Anthony Daniels, of course, and James Earl Jones voice Darth Vader. It's a sequel to Star Wars, you know, and, and Luke has a terrible haircut. and He looks like a girl. Like He has way too much blush on his face. Uh, Carrie Fisher sings a song about Life Day. It's it's awful. Guys. There's a so, 30 sec- There's literally 20 to 25 minutes of devoted time to Wookiees going. Yeah, we see the Wookiee planet. It is literally just so. Wookiees going. And then Art Carney comes along. Um, it is. It's Absolutely bizarre. Surreal. Yeah, I've got it a is, copy it is, over it there. Is, there, were, there were people. Yeah, there were people on mushrooms and LSD, and and you can tell when they put this thing. It is an absolute mess. It was a TV special for those of you who haven't seen it. I remember watching it as a kid. Wow. And um, oh yeah, yeah, I'm I'm that old. And um, <laughs> and, and it was just like whoa, what you know? And, and even as a kid, and and I guess uh, so that was '77, I thought, or '70, because the movie came out in '77. I thought it was that that Christmas time that it came out. But if '70, it doesn't matter much. So 11, 12 years old, I'm watching this thing, going, this makes no sense. And it was big. Everybody wanted to watch this. It it had huge ratings, and it was so bad that Lucas, the rumor is, had it destroyed, right? Well, if you fish around on YouTube and others, you can see that I have seen the entire show in the last couple of years. I did find it somewhere on the interwebs. What you really need to do, Richard, Amy, if you haven't seen this, is get a bunch of your friends together, get as much alcohol as you can. <laughs> Right. <laughs> oh my God! There it is. <laughs> there it is. Lee, Lee has a, Lee has a copy, Lee a bootleg it. copy, no doubt. Did you get that at a convention, Lee, or where did that um, come from? I will quote the back of it. <laughs> it comes with a quote at the top. If I had time and a hammer, I'd track down every bootleg copy and smash it. George Lucas, <laughs> November 1978 Oh wow, Ken is really old. Television viewers return to a galaxy far away with a Star Wars holiday special. Chewbacca rushes home to Kayak to celebrate Life Day with his family. Unknown to Chewbacca and Han Solo, they're walking into a trap. Imperial forces occupy Chewie's home and wait for the rebels to return. Can Chewie's wife, their son Lumpy, and Chewie's father Atachuk warn the rebels in time? Packed with bonus features, this DVD has been digitally remastered with greater sound and picture quality. Love or hate it, this DVD is destined to become the most definitive version of the Star Wars Holiday Special. Good luck getting into my house, George Lucas, and taking this out of my cold, dead hands. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm just yes. glad so I'm Ken, uh, you, uh, you, You're on record, you don't like Generations very much, but I think even you'd have to admit, it's probably better than the Star Wars Holiday Special, right? It is. Yeah. It, See, it, we it, had a breakthrough here, guys. We've had we a, breakthrough a breakthrough with Ken. Yes, yes. Yeah, I, I think that uh, th- there were certain parts and scenes that I, you know, it's Star Trek. So there isn't a Star Trek movie I won't watch and and can find good in things. And in TNG, in, in this movie, there are some things that are really cool. I, I did like the whole ceremony for Worf and, and being promoted and things Remove like that. Remove the plank! Remove the plank. Yep, sorry. Riker you know, I mean, is such it, a jerk. <laughs> <laughs> he is. He, he really is. Yes, yes. And and so there's 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 parts of this movie that that I thought were okay, but like I said, they tried to do too much. And I think that's where actors' egos need to be pulled in check. You know, I th- I do do believe that um, as the movies went on in TNG, Brett Spiner and and even Patrick Stewart got carried away with being more you know heroic and they tried to make it deeper. And sometimes it just didn't work. It worked perfectly in First Contact, by far the best. Um, TNG movie uh, ever made, and it's it's a great movie, and and I enjoy it, and and I like Generations because 
I like seeing Captain Kirk on screen. I like seeing Picard and Kirk back together. When they're on the horses and all that stuff in the conversation, there were bits and pieces in there, and there were some, some great quotes. The score was phenomenal. I have to say Dennis McCarthy did a very nice job on that. In fact, I used that, uh, that track when Kirk is riding the horse. Uh, it's my cell phone tone. Uh, literally. So I do have a TNG ring tone. Um, don't tell anybody outside of standard. I have to edit that out too. Thanks. Don't, don't, don't tell anybody. But anyway, it's a, it, it, it's, it's not a great film, unfortunately, because of the way they, they treated my captain or data's emotion or the nexus. And, you know, really after the bottle smashed against the ship, the, the best part were the end credits. So anyway, uh, I, I, what are your guys' final thoughts on the movie? It's not love, actually, for me, but it's okay. Um, I think there's, I think I've said it before with certain movies that I may not like certain movies, whether it's something like Star Trek Generations or, say, The Phantom Menace, for example. But I think sometimes it's interesting to get together and discuss why something failed. What could have been done better? Why is Generations this mishmash of ideas? And then you kind of can peel it back, whether it's reading interviews, articles, watching special features audio commentaries and getting to the bottom of it and having a podcast discussion where you think okay some of us like this movie some of us don't why and trying to explore that and i think sometimes flawed movies like this can be sometimes more interesting and exciting to talk about than perhaps something like star trek first contact which is the greatest because there's more to assess and be critical of and be you know constructive about in our analysis that's right that's right so richard what what are your what are your thoughts and ratings on the film I definitely love it. Uh, it's not as good as First Contact, but it's right behind it. So, for me, it's it's. I mean, it's a great Christmas um, movie. It really is. I mean, it's something I watch almost every year. Um, it does it does well with me. I mean, yeah, we could definitely rewrite it and uh, it to make it a better film. But the way it is, I, I think it's great the way it is as well. But we could always rewrite it. Okay, Amy. Yeah, I I uh, enjoy the film. It's not my go-to, um, but you know, watching it this year was, you know, as I told you guys, I'm like, man, this is a great show. I enjoyed it. It moved along, um, and yeah, there's issues that I have with it, but overall, I think it's a great film and very enjoyable to watch. And yeah, I agree with Lee. There's definitely things that we can look at and analyze and say well, why was it this way? And look at the egos and who was writing and what their checklist, what it was handed to them. You know, you hear Ron and uh, Brandon talk about it. It's like, we had to do all of these things to make the, uh, who? Producers happy. And uh, so you can see all the complexity that goes into it and say, wow, that for what they were given, is it is a pretty good film. And I, I like the character development, uh, not so much with data because it sort of almost killed his character because the whole time he's trying to, you know, be more human. And then we finally get his emotion chip. And then, so where's his character going to go? So that aspect, I didn't like it. And then you see in the other movies that it's like, well, data, just turn your emotion chip off. Well, so then he re, you know, reverses back to where he was when he already made this progress. So there's, you know, minor things, but overall, I really do enjoy the movie. 
That's good. That's good. It, and it's nice, like I said. It, 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 one of the things we, we get carried away, I think, on sometimes, especially Facebook, is people say you're wrong for having an opinion on a certain thing. You're certainly not. We all look through things at a different lens, and uh, in, in we have our different attachments or even timelines when we came into Star Trek that impact us and affect the way we see the films. So I, I, I perfectly understand. So, Zach, what were your, what were your final thoughts and ratings, sir? Yeah, like Lee and Amy, like you were talking about on the special features, uh, I recommend if any of you have not listened to the Ron Moore and Brandon Braga commentary on Generations, highly recommend it. They are very honest about it. It's recorded years after the movie, and I find those are always the best special features when you like it. It's years removed from it, and everybody can look back and be honest about it. Because obviously, when you have all these like special features that come out during the movie, oh, it's gonna be great! It's gonna be great! Soren's the best villain since Khan. This is amazing. You know, that's the kind of you know the corporate, <laughs> the company line you get uh, during the making of a movie. But I, I highly recommend that, and that really gave me a new appreciation for what they went through making this movie because as you guys have said they had it they had a list like you got to blow up the enterprise you got to kill kirk we got to give give data a comedy subplot it's like this is just it's too much i mean you could break up this movie but there's probably like 10 really good ideas in this movie that you could individually they work well on their own but when you mash them all together you know especially data you mentioned amy data's emotion shift like what like the whole his whole character arc is he's supposed to become more than the sum of his parts right but this is just like here data here's all your emotions here's your journey is reduced to just putting this chip in your head that's kind of that's kind of a cheat and then even in this movie though they they it gets melded to his neural net and he any data wants to quit because he can't handle the emotions and i think that's actually a really cool subplot than in another in an episode or another film or just in another place that kind of stuff for example talking about all these plots that could could, could be more in another situation that's great because we all experience that right we get overwhelmed with emotions and yet we still have to do our duty right we can't just quit our job or, or take some time off because we can't handle the way we feel and that's what data has to learn you know we learn that as we grow up as people because data i mean he's he's a child right and he's learning to be human just as we all learn to be adults because no one we haven't done this before right so stuff like that those are great little ideas time and you know the i'll start track all these loves talking about time and so there's the nexus and just just a, a interesting idea but just the execution was not there or communicated all the rules because i like rules in my science fiction right i mean we all we're all sci-fi fans here that's the difference between sci-fi and fantasy right we, we like knowing what the rules are that creates stakes when there's no rules there's no stakes and then you're always like well why didn't he just do this because we're all saying well, why didn't they just go back to the enterprise b and stop soaring then or why didn't why didn't they go back to more than five minutes before the enterprise blew up picard like right you we can question that because there's no rules to tell us otherwise right but so yeah it, all that being said it, it's just a very complicated movie and I agree with what you were saying, Lee. It, it's it because it's so complicated. It's like more fun to talk about than like a surefire slam dunk. Like let's talk about First Contact or Star Trek Two. Yeah, it's great. We can talk about it, but we're all just gonna kind of agree with each other, and it's all pretty much accepted. Like yeah, that was great. Remember that? That was great. Yeah, that was great too. Yeah, that was great. And that's the, that's the extent of the conversation. There are of course deeper themes you can delve into, but overall, it's it's it is more interesting to kind of pick apart the pick apart the corpse of this movie. <laughs> <laughs> see, see, do the autopsy here. You mean James Kirk's corpse? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's right. That's right. But I, uh, well done. I, I do, I do like respectful uh, discussion and, and Well, you're wrong, Ken. There we go. Thank you, Mister Facebook. <laughs> These movies are the crap, as you said. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, all right. So as, as we wind down things here, first of all, I, I am so happy for uh, the Earl Grey team that you're back on the air. Uh, that you've come together. You've got, I think, three episodes out already uh, since since this has been recorded. It might be a fourth before. I'm not sure, but uh, glad glad so much that you found a way to um, 
I guess, Rich, through uh, your incredible technology, being able to crack through our shields better than a Klingon warbird that's 60 years old and, and finding your way onto the Standard Orbit Studios. It was, it was guys, a you, lot of did fun. Did you use my glasses to, to find our free shield frequency, Richard? Is that what you did? <laughs> yes. That's how they got the Zoom link. That's how they got us. <laughs> that's how they got the Zoom link. I get it. Okay, that's great. Awesome. You're, you're welcome aboard anytime. We, we, we love you guys, and um, we, we do thank you for making this. is a, one of the first crossovers that I've seen in quite a while on the network, so it's, uh, it's something that uh, we, we could go back to the well on again either side. So, so thanks so much for coming aboard today. I know. Where is yeah, Hopefully it's a Christmas cracker for the, for the listeners. Well, talking about Star Trek Generations isn't the only thing we've been discussing this week on Trek FM. Here's a quick look at some other things you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.fm. Standard Orbit. So it counts as saving Earth, even though they really didn't do anything. <laughs> they just kind of observed history, right? If anything, they Well, they almost... were part of it, though. They wound up being part of it, right? They probably, well, in many ways, they interfered with the saving of Earth. Right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Like, they, 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 they saved the day despite themselves. <laughs> Earl Grey. I just, this week with my students, I'm a teacher, and... Uh, what what is so great about Star Trek and isn't it like Star Wars and I'm like no it is not let me tell you why and that's always where I start it's like Star Trek this is where we could be it is someplace where we could end up going you know who knows but it's our timeline it's our potential future stage nine a podcast about the people who make Star Trek We had many Ferengi, <laughs> and they were all quite different. Nog and Rom and Brunt and Quark and the Grand Nagus and Mugi. They all had very different voices, very different worldviews. They were all characters in their own right, but they all fit into that culture. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So you can find us on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and of course you can always stream or download the MP3 file from our website at Trek.fm and grab the RSS link as well. If you're an Apple user, please be sure to hit the subscribe button. That makes it easier for other listeners to find the show as they search iTunes and helps us increase our visibility for new listeners. If you'd like to get in touch with us, here at Trek.fm, you can always find us on Trek.fm slash contact and look in the sidebar on the show page, or you can go to speakpipe.com slash Trek.fm and please leave us a voice message. You can also contact us through Twitter at Trek.fm, Facebook.com slash Trek.fm, and the Babel Conference. Type the Babel Conference, B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook, or go to our website at Trek.fm and click discussion on the menu bar. So let me talk to you for a second about Patreon, Zach. Patreon is the program that Trek FM employs in order to get donations to keep the network coming to you commercial-free. It is wonderful. Most of the hosts here on Trek FM are big contributors to Patreon and found our way onto the network through Patreon. So if you can uh, spare any money, uh, and we don't care what the denomination is, it really means a lot to us because there is a lot of content that we're putting up there, a lot of bandwidth, a lot of programming, a lot of equipment that we need. So please, if you can help us out, we'd appreciate it. And all you have to do is go to patreon.com, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash track FM, and you can, you can click any donation you want. And we do have some incentives for you. So... For $15 a month, you get to join the Patrons Roundtable, where you podcast, and, and, you know, 
again, that is where a lot of us started. It was on the round table. I was on the very first one. I had a blast. And if you can contribute $25 or more per month, then you get associate producer credits for whatever show you like. And we love our associate producers. So please, 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 if you, if you have the ability, it is more than appreciated. And speaking of our associate producers, we'd like to thank Renee Roberts, Richard Rutledge, and Aaron Harvey. Thank you so much, always, for your support for both Standard Orbit and the Trek FM network. You can find Renee on Twitter at MRES underscore 1701. You can find Richard at RUT8972. And you can find our buddy Aaron Harvey at GeekFilter. So, Richard, where can we find you on the interwebs? Well, they can uh, find me on the Babel Conference and also on Twitter at XRansom. Okay. Lee? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Lee underscore Nostromo or at Star Trek VHS, sharing old Star Trek VHS art covers. Or if you're driving home for Christmas or home alone, you can hear me on the Earl Grey podcast and my own podcast, Filibuster, talking about geek culture. Excellent. And Amy, where can we find you? I'm also on Twitter at Miss Amy Nelson, but my favorite place to be is in the Babel Conference. Excellent. Well, we'll look forward to seeing you all there. So if you're looking for me on the network, you can you can find me on the Babel Conference. I'm always on there, uh, pre-post shows, talking different subjects with all our listeners. And you can also find me on Twitter at Boston SCPO. That means Boston Senior Chief Petty Officer. As for me, you can find me on Twitter at MoronZach. That's M-O-O-R-E-O-N-Z-A-C-H. And I'm also the host of my own podcast called Always Hold On to Smallville, where we talk about each and every episode of that young Superman show from the early 2000s. And we're on Twitter at AlwaysMallville with one S. And also, I'm around the Babel Conference as well. It's always great to talk to you guys on there, making conversation about our shows, other shows, general Star Trek topics, anything, really. Love to talk to you guys on there. So thanks for listening, everyone. And join us again next time here on Trek.fm for another episode of Standard Orbit. I've managed to insert 14 different Christmas song titles uh, or movie names into that podcast. I'm very happy with myself. I noticed, I noticed that, Lee. <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting for someone just like that. I was like, I was like to my girlfriend, I was like, I've got this list of songs. I'm going to try and just sneakily put as many in as possible. <laughs> you, so, you'll, have to, you'll have to post that at some point on the Babel Conference yes, in the comments. I'll take a little photo and stuff like that, see how many people can uh, notice any of Do them. Do like a checklist. Be like, nope, he said this. The only one I never managed to fit in was Santa Baby. Christmas movie bingo, yes. (laughs) 